Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, 90-day new job plan, the overview. Here we go. What you will do in your first 90 days, that's a pretty common interview question, right? Especially yeah. at mid and you know higher level, more senior levels yes. of management. Now, it's easy for us because we have one rule in 90 days, right? Which says, fit in, fit in, fit in. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody believes us, but we're right. Right. It's yeah. right, right? I mean, that, that's, that's still true. But interviewers, you know, that's not what they want to hear. They want to hear about action. So what do we do? Do we just stick, stick to our guns and say fit in, fit in, fit in, and no, suffer no. the consequences, I mean, or we're gonna we're gonna give people an answer to that? Well, let's be clear though. This is not an interviewing cast. Although certainly you could draw a great interviewing question from this cast. This is our guidance. It's the first in a series about what to do when you're starting a new job. And we don't mean just for fresh college graduates or high school graduates. We're talking about for anyone when you move companies and you're starting in a new role, even if you did an internal move, our guidance at a high level, because it's the first cast, about what you can do to be more effective. And the reason we say fit in, and that's our first point, fit in, fit in, fit in, is because everybody mistakenly believes both what they've been told and also specific guidance from more senior people. I want you to come in here and make a difference. We don't have time to be lollygagging. We got to make, make things happen. Well, that's just wrong. And everybody says that. It's everybody says that yeah. as if it's uncommon. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I'll follow my, follow my sword about this one. You know, somebody wants to write in and say, well, no, my boss said he had to have results and I didn't have any results in 60 days. He started yelling at me. Okay. Well, I have an answer for that. Trust me. So anyway, we've got five points that we want to come over at a high level. Okay. With specific guidance for each one. The first one is fit in. The second one is you've got to spend some time gathering information. Okay. Fit in doesn't mean do nothing. It just means avoid ticking everybody off. And some of the things you got to do is number two, you got to gather information. You've got to then, after you've gathered information, you're starting to fit in, then you've got to establish priorities. Then you got to figure out some baselines for your work going forward. And then lastly, you start developing your plan for change. Those are our five points. Okay. So let's recur to, we've had a cast on this, surely, right? Fit in, fit in, fit in, right? I don't remember that we have specifically. Maybe, maybe we talked about it in the context. We've of talked about it a hundred times, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, it's a standard, standard thing because the common wisdom, and of course, folks, the whole common wisdom thing, you understand that wisdom isn't common. Common wisdom is make a difference, make things happen. Let's hit the, hit the ground running. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. The worst thing you can do in a new role is to try to change everything. Look, your team, if you're a manager, uh, or even if you're an individual, if you're part of a, of a team, right, is already coping with a change in personnel, and that would be you, okay? Even if they didn't think that whomever you replaced was doing a good job, or if you're that long-awaited person who's new that was really needed to, to handle workload, there's still a disruption. Simple as that. Every relationship on your team is reevaluated in light of you, the new person, and you're the new person, and you think they were thrilled to hire you. Okay. But remember something, your boss probably hired you, but you have to fit in with your peers and your directs. And I would say nowadays, oh, maybe only 40% of the situations, are you going to be interviewed by your directs and your peers or they'll have a say in some way? 
look, it, it, we try to avoid comparing teams to families, but but it's a it's a really lame comparison, but it has some traction. Uh, imagine you have two children, right? If you have two children, there are what six relationships there. You add a new baby, and suddenly it goes to ten relationships, and six of which are being renegotiated because of the baby, right? So new people cause disruption. I, I have a standard rule about kids. I tell parents, which is it's not the number of kids, it's the number of relationships. When you have one kid, you have no relationships between kids. When you have two kids, you only have one relationship to worry about, the relationship between the two of them. So you go from zero to one relationship when you have two kids. But when you get three kids, you triple the number of relationships, because when you have three kids, suddenly there's three relationships, A to B, B to C, and A to C. And that's what makes it hard. So a new person messes up the relationship math or the relationship calculus, frankly, because relationships are higher math. And of course, that's just within the team. But look, you don't know enough to make changes. Look, guys, suppose somebody, some company hired me to be an executive and I went in there. This is what I would do. I would wait look, I know how to manage, but I wouldn't start doing one-on-ones the first week. I'd introduce them at some point. I wouldn't introduce them in the first week. I wouldn't say, okay, this is the way I do it. I'd probably wait a little bit. I'd probably have a lot of stuff to do in the first, in the first month, but I'd wait. I wouldn't introduce a lot of change right away. And I wouldn't say, oh, this is how I know effective people manage. And so we're going to do everything new, everything different within 90 days. I'd probably start one-on-ones before 90 days. But I certainly wouldn't start feedback. I mean, look, you know, we just hired somebody, Danny Martin, to do our public conferences along with me. And she's been here, what, five months? And I haven't started giving her negative feedback yet, right? Now, I know negative feedback works. I think it's fabulous. And I'm not doing it yet because I know going slow is better. And here's the most important thing about fitting in, guys. There are rarely jobs nowadays where you're going to be able to do everything yourself. Rarely. Even if you're just an individual contributor and everybody else on the team does the same thing as you, you're still going to have to collaborate with other people. You're still going to have to get along with them, okay? If you make a lot of changes early, and probably people will have to overcome their reticence about you, and they'll go along with you because you're new. If they don't turn out well, the people you will have burned bridges with in your relationship, even if they like you, if you do ask them to do stuff that is not helpful to the organization, that will be burning bridges in terms of the professional side of the relationship. You're going to be burning bridges. And in six months or nine months, when you really need them to help you, they won't carry your water for you. I think I just mixed about six metaphors there, burning bridges (laughs) and carrying water and all kinds of stuff. I apologize for that. So anything you can do in the first 90 days is going to be based on a lack of knowledge about where you specifically are. And it's going to be based on old information about where you used to be, even if you're in the same company. Now, are there situations that are crises that you have to do things right now? Yes. And they are so exceptionally rare and much more rare than when bosses say, this is a crisis. You really need to get in there. You'll know if it's a crisis and it's rare. It's more rare than the people who are hiring you tell you it is. And if you burn those bridges, if you, if they won't carry your water, there I go again, you're going to be in a situation where you may not have gotten good things done early. And in fact, it's unlikely that the things you do early will have as great a chance of success because it's new, because you're new and you don't know everything yet. You don't know how to leverage different people different ways because you don't have relationships with them. You won't be able to get anything done a year or two years or five years from now. And so you'll have spent all of your cash early on for very little return and you won't have any more cash to invest in the future. Yeah. There's another metaphor for you. 
So go slow, fit in, fit in, focus on fitting in, do what your team does, do the work the way they do it, defer to their relationships, eat lunch with them, build your relationships. The time for change, the time for you asserting yourself will come, but don't assert yourself until you find out the person next to you is a high S and you're going to turn her off and you've got to slow down and you've got to coach her a little bit more. You've got to help her a little bit more. Trust me. That's the big rule. Fit in. Good. And thus ends point one of the metaphor cast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I promise. No more. Okay. I'll probably break that rule. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you will. Okay. So we say fit in, fit in, fit in. We're not suggesting you're going to sit there for the first 90 days and do nothing. And one of the things you need to do and one of the things you can do while fitting in is gathering information. Yeah. Look, we're going to go into this in more detail in later cast, but we're giving a high level overview right now. I think we've done a cast about a notebook and a pen, right? You've got to have a notebook, folks. And you've got to start when you're new. You've got to use that notebook to start mapping the world that you're in. I'm amazed at the number of people who take notes about what was deciding meetings. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, first of all, I'm amazed at the number of people who don't take notes in meetings. Oh, my gosh. Definitely the sign of a young person or a naive person or an un a person who's not a professional. The second thing is I'm amazed at the number of people who take notes and it's not about some of the people and their behaviors and so on and what their, what their hot buttons are. So you take your notebook and every meeting you go to, either during the meeting, if you can, or after the meeting, you take some notes first on people. Okay. Who do you interact with? So you start keeping notes on those people because Horseman's first law. It's all about people, folks. It's not about the things people do. It's not about the results people achieve. It's about the people. The results will change. The processes will change. The people will not. And even if I learn something about person A now and a year from now, person A is not with me, the next person who takes person A's place or the person who works for me, who I have a different team, my learning about people is constantly growing. My, you know, your ability to, to change behaviors based on clues you get from people is based on how well you study people. And half the people who are listening to this cast, probably more than half based on our audience, the high D's and ICs, you're not listening to me. You drifted off because the oh, horseman's talking about people again. Trust me, folks. People is where it's at. So who do you interact with? What are their jobs? What teams are they in? How do they behave? Internally, right? Who's on your team? How do they relate to the other teams around them? Who are your internal customers? Who has those relationships? Who knows whom? What about processes? How does the work get done? And when it comes to processes, who are the people involved in that processes? What are their jobs and what teams are they on? right? That, that you interact with that help your team get the processes done that you're involved with. And externally, the same thing. Who are your customers externally? What's going on with our customers? I have a cast about this coming out in the next three or four months about people who read in the news about one of their competitors not doing well, and then don't immediately assume who's available over there that I know that's awesome, that now is suddenly maybe could be pried loose from, from their company. I'm amazed at that. Well, the same yeah. thing's true for customers. There may be a great person at your customer. Now, you want to be very careful about hiring away from customers. It's easier to hire from a vendor than it is to hire from a customer. But yeah, these are the kind of things you need to take notes about the people. Now, you and I have talked often about uh, the tendency of folks. They want to get in, you know, they're within the first two weeks of their job and all of a sudden they're setting 
priorities before yep, they've gathered yep. all the appropriate information. So you you said that your point three is established priorities, but can you do that within the first 90 days? No, no, no. In fact, you could even say this is the fit-in cast and people are going to be sick of it. You know, I've said it before. I know it's it's really arrogant. I don't mean it to sound the way it does, but we'll console ourselves with being right. We can call this the fit-in cast because we're going to tell you, wait, 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 wait. When we say establish priorities, we mean begin to think about what your priorities will be and later in your first 90 days, start thinking about, you know, okay, now I've learned a lot. Forget about what I thought the priorities would be. What priorities can I accomplish? What might my priorities be now based on what I've learned? You know, leave this to 60 to 90 days. It's easy to think that you understand the dynamics. And folks, you guys who are high Ds, high Is, you guys who are pushy and assertive, oh, you, you can't crazy. wait, you can't wait, you can't wait. I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Don't do it. Don't do it. There'll be people who, if you push too hard, particularly if you're working with folks who are more reserved, they're going to hold you back just to hold you back, even if they like the idea because they don't want you fundamentally changing their world. If they've been there 15 years and you're new, they have a vested interest in slowing you down, not because it hurts the company. They're not trying to ruin the company. They're trying to protect the world they live in because for them, change is hard. And in 90 days, you're going to know your people better. You're going to know what turns people off, turns people on. You're going to know what levers to push, and you're going to be able to influence them more instead of relying right. in your first 30 days or 90 days, relying solely on role power. You'll have a little relationship power. In the beginning, right. You don't have enough information to make changes. You don't have the relationships you need to make changes and, and to have them supported. You don't want compliance energy. I have to do it because she's my boss. You want commitment energy. I want to do it because she has great ideas and I can tell she knows what will work for us. You don't know yet what's been changed before and how it went. I mean, how many times have bosses told the stories? I tried to do something and the team immediately said, well, you don't know. We tried that three months ago. It didn't work. Well, it might still be worth doing, but holy Toledo, wouldn't you want to know that first before you introduce some grand, awesome new idea and you're going to just lay it on them like they're like it's manna from heaven and they look at you and go, dude, we tried that like six months ago, total failure. We all thought it would work too, but no, you're just new and you don't know. And that's okay. You don't know. You're not supposed to know. It's okay. Trust us, boss. We'll take care of you. And now you look dumb, right? Now, look, once you get all that information, you start understanding relationships and strengths and weaknesses of your team. If you're a manager and you start feeling comfortable deciding on priorities, start working on them, but do so privately. Start a benefits analysis, a simple cost benefits analysis, pros and cons of the changes you would want to make and don't share them yet. The point about priorities is everybody's got 50 of them, but those aren't priorities. Those are just task lists, right? You need to distill them down to the few that really matter. In fact, people who tell me they have six priorities, I'm like, really? No, no, you don't. If you have six priorities, particularly if you're a manager or executive, you're a nut job. And you need one of those six major areas that is a priority, okay? I recur now to Peter Drucker who says, now this is true for senior, senior executives. It's less true for managers. There's more leeway for managers and individual contributors. But Peter Drucker said once, I think it's an effective executive. He says, you don't have time to do everything. Most senior executives that he knows can handle one major initiative, one major focus for a long period of time. Some of them, the gifted ones, a handful in his 50-year consulting career could handle two. He said, but three is a circus, which I think is great that Drucker had a sense of humor. So you don't have 10 priorities. Um, all that means is you're jumping from fire to fire, so to speak. 
but distill things down. You need to think about which one or which two you're going to do first. Okay. You can't change everything all at once. Don't sit in your office when people come in and say, oh my God, there's so much to change. All you're doing is throw them under the bus and saying, you guys, I'm here now. I'm the savior. What everything you've done is wrong. In the first couple of months, you need to be telling people things are good. It'll be okay. Now, don't tell them things are good if everybody's in danger of being fired in 90 days, but that's pretty dang rare. Okay. And look, I know the high C's are listening going, I can't believe the D's and I's are saying they want to make a decision in 90 days. I need more data. I need more data. I need more data. But look, you do need to start making changes after the 90 days. If you wait 180 days and you still haven't made any changes because you're waiting for more data, that's too long. So there's a balance between waiting and, and, and going. But most people, when they join an organization, most people try to move too fast because that's what their boss tells them. And we're telling you, wait and be reasonable and sober about it. And then once you're done waiting, then do so assertively. That's right. Now, one of the ways that you get support for ongoing changes is metrics, is measurement, establishing yes. baselines, right? Yeah. You know, and we and, like measurements. Yeah, measurements are awesome. And if you don't have those baselines in six months from now, you have improvements, how are you going to know? Right? I mean, yeah. We were at a, a customer plant last week. Um, we we're recording this on a Sunday. I think we were there a Tuesday. And, you know, they measure everything. And it's funny because I love plants because they know what's happening in the plant. And yet, when it comes to organizations, we don't measure management. It's just crazy. It's crazy. You can measure. I mean, 50 years ago, plants didn't measure anything. Now they measure everything because what you measure, you can manage. If you don't measure it, you can't manage it. You don't know. If you don't measure it, you don't know whether or not the output you're getting is good or bad. And you don't know whether it's changing if you're not measuring it. Okay. But look, when you start to know what your priorities are, before you start implementing them, work out how you can measure them. Start recording the measurement before you make the change. What's the process time? How long does it take to create whatever it is your team creates? How much does it cost? I'm amazed at the number of managers who say, yeah, I know each one of our processing items takes 13 minutes. Well, okay, how much does that cost? Well, I don't know. Well, sure you do. What do you pay your people? What's 13 minutes of their salary and benefits time? Oh, is that how you do it? Yeah. Well, okay, why do I need to do that? Because if I'm your boss's boss and you say it takes me 13 minutes, I'm sorry, that just doesn't mean anything to me. But if you say you can reduce processing time by a minute, again, I don't care. I don't know whether that's good or not. But if you tell me that you can save me 6%, actually, I think it's more like 8%, right? 12 is 8, yeah. If you tell me you can go from 13 minutes to 12 minutes or you can save me a minute, doesn't really care. If you tell me your department can save us 8% in costs, now I'm listening. And you can only do that if you're measuring the time and you know what your compensation costs are. And of course, there's a whole nother realm of measurement after that, which is when it starts taking less time, there are other costs that drop as well. But that's for another time on budgeting, right? So look, how many people does it take? Maybe, maybe you can figure out a way to reduce the number of times a particular process touches different people. Because the more people that are involved, the longer it takes. Handoffs are inherently problematic. How late is the project? How over budget are things? People say it's late and it's over budget. Well, how much and why? You need to dig into the weeds. This is a good chance where in the beginning, you're going to be working on your relationship and you're going to probably feel like you're micromanaging a lot of things because you don't want to make changes until you understand things, right? And if you want, if you want to change, change something relative to customers, what are the customer satisfaction scores here? How long have we been using this metric? 
I hate it when people are always changing metrics every six months. To me, that just means they're gaming the system. Mm-hmm. And look, the point here is, is once you have a couple of months worth of measures and you understand what the measures are and why, then when you start selling your change and you start implementing that change process, you'll now be able to, to demonstrate the benefits of the changes you recommended. Too many people come in and make changes based on what they know, and there's no appreciable change in what is widely regarded as the standard metric at the organization they're new at. And it totally screws you. You end up making changes and you you say to people, it's better. And I'm telling you, if I'm your boss's boss, I'm like, no, it's not. The metrics are indistinguishable from one another. The outcomes are indistinguishable. Well, trust me, boss, it's better. Mm. (laughs) Oh, really? Should I trust what I see with my eyes on the bottom line of the metrics document, on the results document, or should I trust you? Right. And later on, you're going to, you're going to gather more information. You're going to want to attack tougher problems. And the way you get support for attacking the tougher problems, the ones that might take a little bit more time, might require more res- yep. resources, is you develop a track r- record of success. There right? you go. And so going slowly at first and having, having these metrics and being able to measure it and being successful and being able to demonstrate your success later on is going to get you support for those further changes you're going to want to make. Yep. And look, we know it's going to be frustrating for many of you in terms of establishing baselines. You're anxious to get started. We understand. You're you're excited. But trust me, fit in, fit in, fit in. Go slow, go slow, go slow. Take your time. Get it right the first time. Show yourself to be a professional. And then, as Mike says, you'll get bigger and bigger fish to fry. There you go. Now, our last point, you know, at the end of your 90 days, you're at the point now where you, you've gathered information, you have some baselines, you have some priorities. So now you can start to put together a plan for change at the end of the 90 days. Yeah. Not at the end of the 90 days, you'll have your plan for change all worked out. But at the end of 90 days, you can begin to develop the plan, right? Exactly. The relationship you're working on. Right. Exactly. Now, you can't do wholesale change. You don't want to be changing five things at once. Guys, we have experience with that. One of the biggest mistakes Mike and I made, that's really my mistakes, not Mike's, is forgetting that when we rolled out all the podcasts in the very beginning, seven years ago, in what, 2005, I guess, Mike? 2005, Um, yeah. Yeah, we put all these great tools out there, forgetting for a moment that the previous way we had introduced tools was gradually roll them out to clients, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And then suddenly everybody tried to change everything all at once and they got frustrated because their directs couldn't handle it and they couldn't handle it, right? This is the original manager tools cast years ago. But you can plan for change in your number one priority. And perhaps what your next change will be six months later after you've made a significant and hopefully sustainable change in your primary responsibility. It's better to go slow and prove that you can deliver a project on time on budget with notable improvements that make a difference in revenue or costs or whatever, then when you sell the next change, it's that much easier. Trying to change four or five things will overload your team and could cause a situation where all of them fail and then you can't get anything else done. Right. Look at another reason we, we haven't really addressed directly, so let me address it right here in terms of putting this plan together at the end of the 90 days, is in that first 90 days, remember, folks, you're putting together relationships, both internal and external. And if you're smart, you're going to put your plan together, and then you're going to go pre-wire it with the key stakeholders, again, both internal and external. I can't tell you how many plans for change I've seen have just been a complete dud because the executive didn't go out and get the support 
of the stakeholders. And folks, you can't do that in the first 30 days. You don't have the relationships that enable you to do it. So, And for those of you who are saying, well, I'm not an executive yet, no. But if you want to be, you better learn how to behave like one now. If you're in an organization, other people think differently than you. Unless you're going to do all the work yourself, which makes you look foolish, you're going to have to have other people on board, and that takes time. Um, So overview, real quick, fit in. Gather information, establish priorities, establish the baselines for those priorities, and then develop your plan for change. And generally, one thing at a time. I know that's slow. And I know, guys, there's nobody who wants to go faster than me. And this is the way we recommend it. And this is the way we do it. You know, Mike Swinson, our friend, says, when it comes to people, slow is fast. And when it comes to people, fast is slow. If you go too fast, they're going to slow you down. But if you take your time, you'll get faster results. Man, as Horseman's Law says, it's all about people. Even if you're just an individual contributor and you're in a new job, you'll want to make changes. But go slow. Fit in. Think about change. It's been this way for a while. A few more months is not going to hurt your organization. It won't hurt. It'll actually help. <laughs> It'll help. Exactly right. Good point. <laughs> all right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime... Have a great one. So long.